What's up, guys? It is Friday, January 29th, 2021. And this week on FritzCast, I have a very good friend of mine coming on to talk about a plethora of topics. Tim McMaster is my buddy from York, PA, and he is running for Pennsylvania State Senate, 48th District. Hopefully I didn't screw that up. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't. Sorry, Tim. But we were just... We just wrapped up a, a, a great, very long conversation that uh, covered his little personal history, um, how he got into things like farming, small-scale farming, uh, pro wrestling, because everybody loved pro wrestling at some point, and, um, and then into libertarian politics and what inspired him to run for PA State Senate and some of the issues that he believes are at the forefront for his district in Pennsylvania. Uh, so it's a great conversation, uh, and I invite you to take a look at his links that I'm going to provide in the description below uh, to uh, support his campaign and see what he's doing in PA. And I'm trying to hook him up with uh, some of the some of the people that I'm more connected with uh, to help boost his local campaign because one of the things in libertarianism that I always talk about is uh, well, not in libertarianism per se, but the libertarian party growth will say, is focusing on the local winnable elections. And he's this is a special election coming up for the seat that is, uh, according to him, predominantly Republican uh, held. So it's a great conversation. Uh, I'm not going to drag this out. I'm going to let you dive right into it because it's a juicy one that's all over the place. And uh, I'll catch you on the end of the program to give you some shout outs and updates and what's coming up so get ready guys it's tim mcmaster on fritzcast tim mcmaster welcome to the fritzcast man how are you doing buddy I am doing well, my friend. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad we finally got to get this scheduled out. I mean, you and I have talked about this for a little bit uh, over and over, and now it has like even a deeper purpose. It was just originally going to be just for, you know, S and G's, but, but you've got a campaign and stuff that we're going to be talking about. Man. I do. I do. In fact, I do. I am, uh, I am running for Pennsylvania State Senate in uh, the 48th district here in Pennsylvania, which encompasses a large portion of North and West York County, as well as part of Southern Dolphin County and all of Lebanon County. Wow, that's a big, uh, that, that's a big yeah, yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, it's opened up, uh, unfortunately, it's opened up due to the tragic loss of uh, Senator Arnold, David Arnold, he passed away from brain cancer. Uh, just a few weeks ago. So we, we send our thoughts and prayers out to his family. And certainly we didn't want to come to this opportunity in that way. Um, but as the saying goes, when one door opens or when one door closes, rather another one opens. So we're hoping to uh, to take the opportunity to do some good things for Pennsylvania and maybe turn yeah. a negative into a, into a positive. Yeah, unfortunate situation. But, but as you said, I mean, the opportunity is there. You can't leave it sitting. So Right, right. And the alternative is, Another another Republican or God help us, another Democrat, although this seat is, has actually been Republican since its inception in, uh, I believe it was 68, 69. I think it was when this district was actually formed in Pennsylvania. And it's been uh, it's been bred ever since then. And we're hoping 2021 is the year that we can turn it gold. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So we'll get a little more into that and some of the you know nuances of campaigning and and uh, what what inspired you to run? But let's start with let let's start back at like baby Tim. Let let's start with <laughs> with that and go uh, just a little bit about your background, your history, and we'll see where we can go with this. I might I might cut you off and say, hey, talk a little more about this. But we'll, we'll take yeah, it step sure. by step. So a pretty normal childhood, uh, growing up um, in a farming community, but not actually on a farm proper uh, in Gettysburg, which is uh, Adams County, and you should know as a big Civil War buff. Gettysburg is uh, and its significance. So uh, most of my what's, early jobs were, were actually there, in the tourist industry. Yeah, wasn't there a battle there or something? I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. It was a, kind of a bloody beginning to uh, to a July. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I uh, grew up there. Um, not a not a great student, but not a failure. Solid C's in in, uh, in high school. 
a lot of potential, as they say, uh, but potential in a 50 cents will get you a cup of coffee. Uh, kind of squandered it for a little while till, um, till I met my lovely wife, who uh, it really did turn my life around and kind of gave me a reason to, to push forward, to better myself. Um, she had a son at the time, well, still does, actually. Um, so I sort of adopted her son as my own, and he was four when my wife and I uh, first got together. He's 32 at this point, so really I'm about the only dad he's ever he's ever really known, and I, I take a lot of pride in that, that he doesn't call me a stepdad, he calls me dad. Um, that's that's one of my prouder achievements in life, actually. Um, and from there, kind of messed around with uh, playing music, drums, bass, playing that for a little while. Did uh, a short stint as a uh, professional wrestler, as I'm sure you've you've probably heard. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that because <laughs> we our friendship goes back a, a very very long time now. It's funny that you mentioned you said your 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 stepson's 32. Yeah, yeah. So I'm 31, just for everybody's perspective out there. But uh, <laughs> you and I w- were hitting it up on uh, World Wrestling Insanity. Yeah, back yeah, in, James Gutman's site. Yeah, back in the early 2000s when yep. I was uh, a freaking teenager. <laughs> God, where are you? Has it been that long? Thanks. Thanks for making a man feel uh, feel old, Fritz. It's my that, job. Buddy. It's my job to make people feel old. Yeah, I'm here now. Okay. All right. We had some kind of hiccup. I don't know. Well, I have Comcast, and I, I live on a farm now, so. Yeah. Okay, I have Comcast too. That's what. That's but it's got to be what it it's is. It's windy. They're calling. Uh, they're calling for 34 an hour, 30 or 40 mile per hour gusts in the next you. few days. So it could be that. So I apologize right, well, in advance. No, it's it's this is this is how this things works, people. Um, so the last thing I heard was that it was your job to make me feel old. If not you, it's my job to make everybody feel old because oh, for, okay. for whatever reason, people look at me and they think I'm much older than I am. I think it's probably has something to do with this and maybe this, but yeah, the beard helps. But uh, it's my job because everybody in my family, it's my job to remind them that I'm the baby of the family and that they're all, you know ancient no offense to older people out there but that's my job on on behalf of older people we take some offense (laughs) (laughs) which is cool but we we went back world wrestling insanity james gutman uh i had a i uh i was a recapper on there and i had i had an audio show on there too and on club wwi uh so that that was it, this goes back to my roots too this is yeah yeah full circle so we go back quite a ways um i remember one of the, one of the very first things that i remember you posted and i read it and i thought man this guy gets it was it, it i forget what the segment even was or what was happening but the quote was and i still remember it to this day christian is the best at rearranging deck chairs on the titanic <laughs> yeah and it's it, that is a phrase that i still use to this day well that's so thank yeah. you for that hey whatever i can do to help thank you to teenage fritz Put it on a bumper sticker so um so what got you into the wrestling stuff though because i like i grew uh, up like yeah probably like you like i was just always a fan yeah i remember going to uh harrisburg to the zembo temple shrine and i think I think the main event was, I, I, I remember Andre was there and it, it, he may have been in a tag with Bruno or with Backlund or something. And that, so that's how far back I go to late seventies, very early eighties. Um, just always been a fan. Um, and kind of once the, the early age of the internet came up and, and all the websites started popping up, started looking into it. I was like, you know, I'm a fairly big dude and I've always been a fan and I kind of know a little bit of the ins and outs because I had met some of the guys at, at some of the smaller shows that I had gone to when I was younger. Uh, so I started looking into schools and I found one down in Hagerstown and I was like, you know what? Screw it. That's not that far. I'm going to go. It turns out Hagerstown is a, a bit of a haul from New York. Uh, so I was putting uh, about an hour and a half each way in after working a 10 hour day. And after the 10 hour day, doing about 45 minutes to an hour and a half in the gym and then driving down to wrestling school, wrestling down there till nine, 10 o'clock at night, another hour and a half back up to York and then going to bed for a few hours and getting up and starting all over again. Wow, man, that that's, that's a load. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously I wasn't very good at it or I'd probably still be doing it. So 
take that for what it's worth. Hey man, you, uh, you, you lived my dream because there was a, there was a period there where I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to like, you know, into Jersey and I'm going to go to like monster factory and, and just, you know, I'm going to train and do this as a living. Never came to fruition. Never, never actually did it. Never did it, it outside was, of a PlayStation. Well, it was actually, it was actually my wife who looked at me one day and she's like, would you rather be a, a has been or never was? Are you going to, oh, yeah. you going to take the chance or are you going to just 50 years from now going, you know what, maybe if I would have. So I'll, that's a regret that I'll never have. And thanks to my wife. Yeah. That's, that's still an awesome story though. So um, from there, you've, you've been into things like, uh, like small farming. And, yep. and things like yeah, that. And I visited your farm up in uh, yes, York. Yes, PA. you did. You purchased some chickens from me. I hope they were delicious. I did. I did. They were. They were some of the best that we Excellent. ever had. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so what got you did what got you into that? Was that just growing up in, in a type of community like that? Well, as I as I said, I grew up in a farming community, but not on a farm. Um, my dad grew up on a farm, so my grandmother and grandfather was actually their farm. Um, so I spent a lot of time there growing up. So I spent a lot of time tugging at, uh, tugging at my grandmother's apron strings, as they say. Um, and for years, years, I tell you, I had been chasing her chicken soup recipe. She never gave it to me. And I, I finally cracked it a couple of years ago. I'm not going to share it, but it does involve raising your own chickens. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that no. was always, so that was always kind of a thing that was always in the back of my head was just like, you know, this is something I really like doing. And I, it brings back great memories from my childhood. And I always knew where food came from and as my wife and I you know got on a little bit in age and we had kids um it was really important to me that they also knew where their food came from and it wasn't just go to the store pick up a can of this or a cellophane wrap that and that's where food comes from it's like no there is there is actual labor involved there's love involved you know this is how it's done and this is how it's done right so that's that's kind of the motto that we've had here yeah and how's that you're still into that right we are. We transitioned out of the chickens because um, apparently chickens are extremely easy for people to do on small holdings. So a lot of our customer base was kind of grow started growing their own after they saw how great it tasted, which is awesome. I'm very happy about that, but it, it wasn't great for my business. Right. Um, so we transitioned out of that and we got into uh, goats. Now we have dairy goats, we have meat goats. And uh, just this year we started getting into Irish Dexter cattle which are a, uh, a smaller breed. So they're not quite as big as the Angus. They're about three quarters the size. Uh, they're a little more docile and they're a dual purpose. So you can, can raise them for milk. You can raise them for meat. You can raise them for both as we're doing. Gotcha. No, no, that's actually pretty cool. And I had never actually heard of a, uh, heard of that style of cattle. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're fairly new to the U S I think they've only been in the U S since the, uh, 80s or 90s my wife was was actually the one that found the breed so she would be more of an expert on it than uh yeah than i am when it comes to the cattle i'm just uh i'm just the idiot out there putting up the fence and <laughs> carrying the bales of hay around she tells you. me and i say yes dear you're the muscle yeah pretty much i got you now if i asked you is there any kind of like crazy regulations with that that you have to dance around or I um mean, in, it's in less Oh, there's always regulations. You know how government works. If there's yeah. something that they can tax or regulate, they will. Um, we have to file a manure plan, which says we're going what we're going to do with our manure. And I'm like, I'm going to spread my manure on my fields, and it's going to make hay that I'm going to feed back to my animals to make more manure. But I have to file a plan with the county extension office for that. Um, there's all sorts of regulations about, well, with the, the goats, we can't sell people milk we have to sell pet milk so if you come to my come to my farm and get milk i have to specifically tell you this is not for human consumption this is for pets and you have to look at me and say i know thank you but then you go home and you drink it anyway because it's delicious and it's better for you than regular cow's milk wow uh, see and that's always baffling to me there's something that uh, my wife much like your wife i'm going to assume now is getting heavily into this stuff now. And um, so it's like, I right. watched, I've watched dozens of documentaries now, like food, Inc, uh, small, small farms, natural farms, you know, the whole nine. And it's very interesting to see how this works on a, on a small business scale and on a small setting scale versus the big industry and what the right. big industry is trying to put into place to stop people from doing it. 
and I've always I've always thought that those big the the big factory farms are far less farm and far more factory. You mm-hmm. know, because what they're doing is essentially they're taking in taking the industrial model and applying it to foodstuffs. And, and you can't do that because their their goal is going to be to make the we'll call it food. Um, it's it's really just notional food. Um, is to take that and to make it ship better, store better, last longer, look prettier. Now, with those things that I just listed, where is taste? Where is nutritive content? Where is how destructive it is to the environment around? Because they're these mon- giant monocrop fields. They're they've essentially turned the soil into a junkie for mm-hmm. fertilizer. Like nothing will grow on that until you start dumping all sorts of chemical fertilizers onto it. And we don't have that problem here. We have the opposite problem. Like we have to make hay on one of our fields three times a year. The average around here is, is you get one really good cutting of hay once a year. But it's because we're rotating animals through. The animals are eating the grass down. They're peeing on it. They're pooping on the soil. They're putting the nutrients back in. Then they're walking over it. So they're gently trotting those nutrients back into the soil. And then we're moving them off of it onto a different field so that that field can absorb those nutrients and grow that hay. And yeah. it's really it's really no more work than it would be at a, at a giant industrial farm. It's just that I have to put in a lot of little steps instead of giant steps. Yeah, yeah. But and that's... as much as I love being on this farm and working on this farm, I don't mind it. It's less work for me and more like, man, this is really awesome. I love doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's something that is, is sparking an interest in me. And I think it's actually sparking an interest in a lot of different people. I think they're moving. I, I know a lot of people in my circle, at least anyway, who are moving this direction of, you know, instead of, am I going to buy a house in the suburbs or whatever? No, I want to buy like a plot of land and do up, you know, that's some, awesome. some self-sustaining, you know, little oh, things. That's fantastic. Any little bit you can do to make it better. Like I've, and I'm not some guru about it. I mean, I'm still learning stuff every day as we all are on this, but I've, I've mentored, I guess, other people and they've been like, well, how can I grow any food? I live in an apartment and I'm like, well, you got a balcony, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, come on, you get five or 10 five gallon buckets, you drill some holes in the bottom, you throw some soil in it, you throw some seeds in it, you can grow tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, broccoli, cauliflower on a balcony. Yeah. So you can grow not all of your food, obviously, but you can grow enough that you can make a difference. You can get started. It's the whole uh, do what you can with what you have where you are mentality. Yeah, it's getting inventive with it. Excuse me. No, you're good. It's getting inventive with it, using the space that you have that you can utilize. I mean, that's we do that in our backyard right now. And yeah, it, and that's fantastic. If everybody would do just a little something, if they can, the difference that it would make in the in the food system in this country as a whole would be monumental. Not not only the food system, but for everybody out there that you know espouses about climate change and all that, it actually makes an environmental impact, you know, too because. This is like the more natural route of doing things. Right. And I, that's one thing, like I, I, I kind of stray away from mentioning that aspect of it because it has the political ramifications on it. Yeah. Um, I know a guy running for political office wants to avoid political ramifications. Go figure. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the times we've seen, uh, we haven't run the soil test here because they cost money and I hate spending money if I don't have to, but there is a, a ton of empirical evidence out there. It's been done by, major credentialed universities that perennial grasses, you know, your haze, your forage, uh, your, your pastures, essentially, that keeping them in a dense growth and keeping a lot of animals on them, cycling the animals through, that that actually sequesters more carbon than giant trees do in the same amount of space. So if you have one acre and it's intensively grazed with perennial grass, that will produce or rather sequester more atmospheric carbon than an equivalent amount of old growth trees will. And a lot of people don't think of that, but a tree is one plant. And when you have a whole pasture full of these forages, these plants, those are each individual plants. So they're all taking in the oxygen. They're all sequestering the carbon into the soil where it can be bioavailable to the root systems for other plants and keeping it out of the environment. Yeah. Or out of the atmosphere rather. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I'm, I'm digging the, uh, I'm digging the people that are pushing this way. 
Yeah, if you have a if you have a chance, look up anything by Joel Salatin. If you've seen Food Inc., you know who Joel Salatin is. See the um, uh, see the guy in Virginia. Yep, Twilt, Virginia. Yep, yep. V- yeah, very, very familiar. Tons of books. In fact, just slide over here. Here's I just rereading this one, which is oh, a Salatin nice. book. Just reading rereading that as as time permits, just for. Uh, for leisure so it's awesome so um moving away from farming then uh let's get into the nitty-gritty of the politics then where uh, obviously <laughs> obviously i'm gonna assume that tim mcmaster didn't start off in life as a libertarian probably not a registered libertarian i think i've always been a libertarian at heart i just didn't know what it was Right. Because my motto has always kind of been like, just live and let live. Like, if you're not doing something that impacts me, get down with your bad self. You know, which is, is pretty much the libertarian mantra, I think. You know, and I don't want to speak for all libertarians, even though some libertarians tend to do that. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. Know? Uh, but I think the libertarian mindset largely is do unto yourself and leave others alone. Yeah, you know, I know. It's, it's kind of always how I've how I've been. Like I've had friends of of all races, all ethnicities, all uh, sexual orientations. I've I've been to a lot of gay bars. It sounds weird, you know, for a guy that's married with kids, but I love going to gay bars with my gay friends because it's it honestly is some of the most fun you're ever going to have. Really? And, yeah, and losing it losing a game of nine ball to a six foot tall transvestite in six inch heels is an experience you never forget. And I've done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I they're just, they're that. so, they were so opening and welcoming to, to my wife and I, and there was no pressure. There's none of this, you know, like, oh, they're going to try to make you gay. It's like, no, they, they, they don't care. They're just there to have fun. And like we do, like if a straight people go out to a bar, you're going out there to have fun. And that's what, you know, all my gay friends would go and they'd take me along to the bar because we were friends and we were just friends going to a bar. Nah, I, I so I think I've, I've, I've always kind of been of the libertarian mindset, just not really registered as a libertarian. So when did the registration as a libertarian come into play? Because uh, I think I, I registered, registered as libertarian the first time at, in 96. Okay. Because I, I wanted to vote for Harry Brown. Gotcha. Okay, so or, you're one of the Harry Brown like originals. OG yeah, gangsters. yeah. Which is which is why I was so passionate about Joe Jorgensen uh, running this past year is because she was his his Veep candidate in '96, and I thought yeah. that was fantastic. Um, and now I sort of I, I would say probably '98 '99 I switched over to being a Republican largely because I didn't want Al Gore to be yeah. president. Um, being a, a an old old uh, heavy metal fan from uh, back in the day. Um, Al Gore's wife, Tipper Gore, the PMRC, yeah. that whole thing, it was, uh, he had to be stopped. Yeah. Um, and probably about, I think it was uh, uh, September 12th, 2001, was when I really, you know, I really took a step back and started looking at the world around me and said, wait a minute, something's amiss here. And that's kind of when I, I went full bore libertarian. You started seeing the government overreach. Um, not saying that 9-11 was an inside job or anything like that, but it was, it was certainly used. The event itself was used to advance an agenda. Yeah. And we're seeing, obviously we're seeing patterns established here of government using things to their advantage, whether or not they're, whether or not we get into conspiracy theories and are they inside jobs or not. But, uh, definitely when the government has an opportunity, uh, at their hands, they pounce on it and they, if, if the government is efficient at one thing, it's that. It's yeah. finding a way to utilize something. It is, it to, is exploiting tragedy. Yep, exploiting tragedy, increasing power, finding a way to make it work, which I, we're seeing it right now active as it plays out. Um, using what happened on, uh, on January 6th at the Capitol, using COVID, uh, using, COVID, using what's happening at Wall Street over the past couple of days. Yeah, using GameStop now. Yep. Yep, GameStop's going to be like a, a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> well, I, th- I think just from straight profits at this point, they they technically are. Which yeah, that's is crazy. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think a little bit about about 
we'll kind of break this down. We'll go bit by bit here. So let's start with, obviously, 9-11 was used. In yes. what way do you think it was used? Well, it was, it was used largely to enact the spying on the American citizens. Uh, because there was, you know, the internet was, was starting to come around and it was used largely to say like, hey, we have to look at all of your communications because some bad people might do some bad thing at some time. So yep. we need to, we need to, to look at everything that, that is going on and we need to know what's happening. And they never really, they never really specified so much why they really needed it. There was always the vague boogeyman threat of al-Qaeda or ISIS now is, is the new one, or I guess ISIL is what they call it now. Um, so there was always sort of this vague boogeyman threat and they needed it because the Cold War had already ended. So now we needed another boogeyman so that we could keep the military industrial complex machine fed. Yep, no, I absolutely agree with that. And uh, a lot of us, for me, at the time that 9-11 happened, I was like 12 years old, so I can think about how I was as a kid in that environment, scared and willing to believe, you know, whatever the TV told me about this stuff. Yeah, and at that, uh, at that time, I, I, honestly, I think we all were. Yeah. It was, only, it was only afterwards when the shock of the actual events started to wear off a little bit that some people myself included started to take a step back and say hang on a second now i don't you know don't don't spit in my face and tell me it's raining all right something is going on here and then you start looking back or at least i did anyway you start looking back at patterns through history so we had the cold war and before that you know necessarily we had the conflicts in vietnam and then we had the conflicts in korea and then we had World War II, where we had the big bad German boogeyman. And, and yes, the Nazi army and the Nazi party are utterly horrific. But those events were actually used to bring in other things. You know, and, and then you go back even further to World War One, and you see around 1913, something horrible also happened, which sort of put us on a path to have all these other things happen. Yeah, it's like a snowball effect almost. It's, so it's all just, going I'll downhill. Take, I'll take my tinfoil hat off now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but see, to me, that's not so tinfoily. You know that that seems very logical to me. Uh, in that right, and I, I don't, I don't know, I don't purport to know or even understand exactly what happened and say this is what happened and this is what happened and this is what happened, um, a la Alex Jones. All I can do is say, I can look at these things and I can recognize patterns. Right. Because on a farm, that's one thing I, that we really have to do is I have to recognize patterns, weather patterns, grass patterns, patterns of what my animals are doing as far as a, if there's an illness or a pregnancy or something. So it's, it's pattern recognition. And if you start to watch the patterns long enough, you do start to see, as George Lucas said, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. It does, for sure. I ap apologize for my dog barking in the other room it's all right this happens this happens in a dozen of my interviews because i have four dogs and if somebody walks by the house they all go off so now, if somebody's walking by my house so we got other problems yeah yeah so at that time i guess were you part of the the ron paul revolution i was i was still am actually ron paul was was really the gateway into libertarianism for for myself and a lot of other people yeah a lot of people like can libertarianism proper yeah a lot of people can attribute it to uh to ron paul versus somebody like me who who has like a more nuanced story about how gary johnson brought me in and then i realized gary johnson's not really the best libertarian uh, to go Harry off. Johnson, I thought was better in his first run. Yeah, than he was in his second run. His second run, I was just like, "What? what there's got to be better than this." I supported him. I voted for him. Big shock. I just really thought he it could have been better, and I was really disappointed when he picked Weld. Well, this is the thing for me is that I think Gary Johnson in 2016, uh, I think libertarians got really like really hyped up. And built up about that number that like, you know, four and a half, five million 
however many it was. Uh, right. I don't remember the exact number, but they get so caught up on that number. They're like, that was an amazing jump and all that. And I'm like, I'm like, stop and look at the circumstances. All right. He picked build weld for money. Money got flowed out. And then there was just enough. There was just enough distaste between both candidates that enough people were like, eh, screw it. I'll give it a shot and, and, and try. Yeah. What's and, the worst that can happen? Yeah. That's what I feel like those, that's what I feel like that 5 million number is that 5 million number was not like growth of libertarian people in the ideology. It's a, it's a nice little boom, but it was mostly people going, I've had it with these two. I'm not, I'm not voting for Clinton. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately it was, unfortunately it was more vote against the status quo than it was for Gary Johnson. And that's, that's one thing I've always tried to do is, is vote for something or stand for something and not just oppose things. Like yeah. when I was supporting Joe Jorgensen this year, um, great interview with her, by the way. When I was supporting Joe Jorgensen this year, I was supporting Joe Jorgensen. I was voting for Joe Jorgensen. I was working for Joe Jorgensen. I wasn't working against Trump. I wasn't working against, uh, God, who did even, Hillary. Yeah. Was right, it Hillary? Right. What, no, just it was last go around? Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, the potato. Sleepy Joe, I guess, is the meme now. Joe Biden. <laughs> I actually forgot what his name even was because he's that blah. I'm calling him. Um, I'm calling him Mr. Executive Order because he has like the most in. Yeah, he's the chief like, executive order guy. Yeah, exactly. Hey, he's but, over fifty something now. Fifty eight now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and that. That's not to disparage libertarian growth, because obviously Joe Jorgensen netted the second most uh, amount of votes for a libertarian. So this this election actually showed some growth for the libertarian party, I think. Yeah. And this this election, considering how much active resistance we had from the big two, because um, I'm sure, you know, here in Pennsylvania, we had to fight tooth and nail for ballot access. We're in the middle of a pandemic um, and we have the state GOP party filing a lawsuit against us so that we can't go out and collect signatures. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I, I can't understand how that was even allowed to go forward. So the state party had to use time, money, resources to fight off a lawsuit that should have been thrown out immediately just so that we could have ballot access. And it's, you know, it's that sort of thing that shows me that like, yeah, libertarianism is, it can work. It just needs it needs the help of of passion people. Yeah, passionate no. people, and uh, you know, I would like that's kind of brings us back full circle to why I'm running. Is I, I saw all that happening, and I say, you know what, damn it, I'm going to be one of those passionate people. I am going to throw my hat in the ring, and I am going to bust my hump to try to get elected to show people that libertarians we're not crazy, scary people or anything. Uh, daily, I get accused of of being uh, just a Republican with weed or I'm just a selfish Democrat because I want to keep all my money. And neither of those things is accurate. I don't smoke weed. Um, I I really don't have any guns or at least not many. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm just a guy that wants the government to leave people alone because I think when you, when you free the people, that is the greatest engine of growth societally economically spiritually that there is is give people their own agency to be who they are to follow their passions and don't restrict them through meaningless regulations or all these different laws and turn the people loose and watch what happens yeah and and let's let's kind of break this down let's smash some of these notions because um there's lots of, I guess, misconceptions and preconceived notions that people have on what libertarians are. And you hit some of them on the head. Like, like you're just a Republican that likes weed. You're just a pothead Republican. But that's not the case. I'm all for uh, decriminalization of pretty much all drugs and kind of argue in favor of legalization of most of them. Because to me, I, I don't do drugs. I do drink alcohol on occasion, but um, I, I don't do drugs. I'm not interested in doing weed. I'm not interested in, in in any of that. But I also, having worked in in systems and seen it play out, like I think that mere possession of a drug or addiction to a drug 
isn't a criminal offense. You know, right. it's so, not something- you know, that's a big thing. A big problem I have is why are we treating addiction as a criminal problem? That's a health problem. Yeah. You know, I, I have been a smoker at many periods in my life and I recognize it's an addiction. There's nothing criminal about it unless, you know, I ask a, a seven-year-old kid to go buy me a pack of smokes, but why would I do that? They're not going to give me the right change. Yeah. Sorry, that was a joke. <laughs> Didn't land. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. Sorry, but you know, it's I, I yeah, I just, I I don't I just I don't understand the rationale of we have to legislate everything. We have to prevent people from doing this, and we have to prevent them from doing that. Here's here's the analogy for for drugs that I often use. <clears throat> so I'm a farmer. I love asparagus. Fresh asparagus, right out of the ground, can't beat it. Steam it. Fry it, wrap it in bacon, grill it. It's wonderful. We'll eat it three times a day, every day for the rest of my life if I could. But if the government told me I had to eat asparagus, I would be opposed to that too. Because I don't want the government telling me or telling you or telling anybody out there what they have to do. That is not the government's responsibility, and they do not have the moral authority to do it. No, and I, this is actually a discussion that I had with somebody on uh, on the Twitterverse over the past couple of days because they were suggesting that oh, libertarians are just they're just selfish people. They just they want to be selfish. Obviously, this party attracts this selfishness and self centeredness. And I was like, no, I'm like actually, if you think about it, if I'm sitting here and saying that I have so much respect for you as a person that I don't want to have an entity forcing you to do something, you know, within a certain, within certain confines, you know, I mean, obviously there's, obviously there's things like non-aggression, non-aggression principle stuff, you know, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Right. Um, but don't that, violate but, others' rights. Right. That's what I was going to say is as long as you're not violating somebody else's rights, what does it matter? Yeah. Now it's, it's, what are they, what do they used to say that my right to swing my fist ends the tip of your nose? And that's, yeah. that's kind of it. Like, if you want to swing your fist around, that's cool. I won't walk into it, but don't bring your fist to my nose. Yeah. Yeah. Pure and simple. <laughs> Pure yeah. and simple. So where do you think, do you think the messaging gets lost somewhere with people on that? Or is it just like, it's just, they're too, they're in too deep in one of the other two parties. They're I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination of both. Uh, a lot of times the messaging <clears throat> excuse me, can get lost because, uh, you know, like a lot of times libertarians, we have these great ideas, but we're not really out front kind of people. Like I'm not really comfortable speaking in front of large groups. Now I say that having also let 400 pound men pick me up and throw me around in my underwear, which is a little <laughs> different because I, I was playing a, playing a character at that point. Right. So a lot of times speaking mainly for myself, is coming out and being just this naked and vulnerable, naked figuratively, obviously. Um, it, it's tricky for libertarians because we, we think we have these great ideas and we're very passionate about them. We very much believe in them. But sometimes we get in our own way. We step on our own, our own shoelaces, as it were. And part of, the other, part of the problem on the other side is that the messaging from the other side, the big two, they certainly don't want to lose their duopoly over us because at the end of the day it's a lot like pro wrestling in politics in that out front of the cameras they're you know i'm gonna beat you from here to high water and you know i'm gonna kick your butt all over this building and then you get to the back and you're opening beers for each other yeah you know because i if you really if you really truly honestly believe that the senate democrats and the senate republicans at the end of the day aren't going in the same direction to do the same things then you're not paying attention yeah. because they are. And this goes beyond Pennsylvania into every other state, into the federal government. Yeah, no, I absolutely 100% agree. And uh, so on a local level, what is Tim McMaster running for Senate? Like what, what are the things that you support? Obviously, I know it's a libertarian agenda, so, but let's, let's talk. Right. So the, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I have is that, is that I want to put forth legislation that's going to completely – open Pennsylvania back up with zero government restrictions. End of the day, everything can open up. If you 
are a business that you feel that you can be safe, that you can keep your, your place clean, you can keep your employees safe, you can keep your customers safe, then by all means, open right up and the government should just stay the heck out of your way. Uh, another thing that I'm big on is I want to see a reduction in the, and this is a personal kind of pet project for me, I want to see a reduction in the restrictions or the restrictive legislation that exists to prevent small home-based and cottage-based industries from starting up. Because in Pennsylvania, the, the hoops that you have to jump through to open up a small business or to do any kind of small business in something that's not zoned specifically as uh, commercial or industrial is ridiculous like the the cost to rezone just a small part of somebody's property especially here in the 48th district is absolutely insane and it is cost prohibitive from somebody that maybe is very good at repairing small engines and wants to open a small small engine repair shop in their garage well for them to do that they have to have so much money in insurance they have to have so much money in liability coverage they have to have handicap accessible bathrooms and they have to have handicap accessible parking and while i'm all for having those things, if I have a small business and I'm running it in my house, I can make those accommodations on a case-by-case -case basis for somebody. So the need to have all of these things to, to open up any kind of small business is absolutely ridiculous. I would also like to see an end to the prohibition on marijuana or any other victimless crime, we'll call it. So any, any activity that is legal for you to do for free it should be legal to do for money gotcha. so you can take that however you work because you know i'm a big believer in um in women's rights and there are a lot of women that are in the sex work industry and if we would remove this stigma and these illegalities from what they do and say okay if you're going to do it then it's fine it's going to be legal and that way, if something, if the worst happens and they get abused, they get beaten or something like that happens, they now have re legal recourse. Because if a woman is in the sex work industry and she is abused, she's beaten, whatever it was, she has no legal recourse because she would then be prosecuted for the sex work. Yep. So it, it, definitely, would, it, it definitely would prevent her from reporting that. And it kind of, as they say for a lot of the the illegal aliens that they're talking about these days is it would bring them out of the shadows. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't, I honestly don't believe that if, if there's, or I believe that if there's no victim, then there's no crime. Yep. No, absolutely. I think that's like a core tenet of libertarianism and, and the non-aggression principle is, is the notion that if you don't have a victim, what is the crime? You know, and, exactly. and you can't drum up stuff and say, you know, oh, society is the victim, you know, like that's the state coming and in would, saying, well, I'm the victim, you know. Yeah. And I would say that society is the victim of the government. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if anything is more indication of that, I would suggest that the past 10 months, um, well, we're approaching the year mark now, the past year yeah. has been hey, you're on lockdown because we think that this is dangerous and you guys can't handle yourselves because you're not grown adults or something. Yeah, yeah, we are in, what, uh, month 11 of 15 days to flatten the curve? Yeah, man, 15, well, it's 15 days, but, you know, it's it's scattered yeah. through the months, I think. Now, are those, are those days on Saturn or some other planet that I'm not aware of? Because this is, this is a very long two weeks. I think it's on the time of, you know, whatever, whatever planet the lizard people that are running things came from. I'm not uh, entirely sure. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that. Don't those hold lizard people that. days. Got it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but the overlords obviously know best. That's why things have remained so um, consistent throughout this whole thing. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And I and honestly, if I go to uh, an establishment and they say, hey, would you please put on a mask? Sure, that's that's a private business. They have the right to ask that, just like I have to the right to shop there with a mask on or shop somewhere else that doesn't require a mask. You know, it's private property rights. If they want to, if they want to enforce that, sure they can. But when the government steps in and says everyone must wear a mask, everyone must be socially distant, we have to close down, we have to lock down, we have to we have to keep kids out of school. Like this is. As a parent, this is the hardest thing for me to grapple with is that they're keeping kids out of school 
for a virus where it's proven that children are not, they're not a spread vector for this disease, for this, uh, for this virus rather. And that if you're under the age of 25 and in reasonably good health, you're 99 point, what is it? 99.95% not going to get the virus. Or if you get it, you're going to get the sniffles for a few days and be perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, I, 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 the, the, the psychological and the sociological damage that they're doing to these kids is, it's unconscionable. Yeah. And so that makes me, that makes me wonder, how do you feel about, um, have you followed anything about the school choice that's been going on? I think it's school choice week this week. Uh, in the nation i believe it is yeah it's it's actually been really busy with the with the campaign of the farm and everything so i haven't had a chance to check in on it too much but i'm a, I'm a huge proponent of school choice yeah yeah you know, it's, there's it's... there's no reason why if and and honestly this last year has proven that it can be done efficiently if it's chosen to be done that it is cost effective it can be efficient it's technologically feasible for parents to choose cyber school if they want to homeschool if they desire and that it can be done and then that there is a way to keep the kids learning and keep them motivated now when you say it has to be done and all the schools will close and everybody's at home that's where i draw the line is because if a small percentage of people want to choose to go to a charter school. They want to go to a parochial school or they want to homeschool. That's fine. That takes a burden off of the public system and it spreads the other technology, technological strain to these other areas, but in smaller numbers. So the way they're doing it now is they're just everybody go home and everybody learn online. Technologically speaking, I don't think they were ready for that. I know the kids weren't weren't ready for that. They were definitely not social, socially prepared for that. I know my kids, you know, without getting too deep into it, my kids had had some issues with it at first um, because you're going to school every day and you're seeing your friends and you have a routine and all of a sudden, yep. bam, nope, you're done. Yep, sitting in the living room in front of the computer. Yeah, and I know that took a, took a toll on my kids and I don't have slow internet here, but when I'm working from home, I have two kids who are taking classes from home. That is, you know, that that is not something that my cable provider had ever planned for that much data usage, you know? So just even from a technological standpoint, like it's, it's harmful because there were disconnecting issues. I know for the first two months that my kids were in the lockdown and homeschooling at least twice a day, they they would come to me and they're like, dad, what do we do? We got, we got booted off our class and we can't get a hold of the teacher. You know, so we got it. We're running around the, our house. We're rebooting routers. We're rebooting computers, and it turns out that the problem was the throughput at the school. You know, so it, it was just a mess. It was ill-conceived, and nobody was prepared for it. Which I don't, I don't know how you would have been prepared for it, but they, man, they certainly they screwed that pooch. Yep. Yeah. Hardcore. Hardcore. So I didn't um, mean to get off on a rant there, but. We start talking about issues with kids and schools. I get, I get pretty passionate. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting there. Having a one year old myself, so um, I totally get it. Um, one of the, uh, one of the other final political subjects I wanted to touch on: taxation is theft. Taxation is theft. So, do you have anything on your, on your, uh, on your docket that that is looking at taxation at any level? Well, I definitely, I would definitely like to re- reduce the. Um, the state income tax. There's right. nothing I could do from a state level about federal income tax. Right. So don't fight that fight. But we can definitely reduce the state income tax. And I think the way that we do this, and this is this is maybe a little contrary to libertarianism as a whole, but I think the easiest way to get there is either through a flat tax, where it's just one straight flat percentage, half a percent, one percent, half a percent would be better, but still not great. Um, or like a VAT tax, like a straight sales tax. Now, in general, obviously, I think taxation is theft. But if it's going to be used that way, constitutionally, it can be, <clears throat> excuse me, justified because then it would be a direct apportion tax. Mm-hmm. So sales tax would go to these programs, period. Nothing else. Doesn't go into the general fund. Doesn't get absorbed by dot or whatever the, the direct apportion tax is constitutional so that one i do sort of support 
Right. Okay. As long as it's applied fairly and as I hate saying the words fairly and tax together. It's very not. But as long as that tax would be applied um, or directly apportioned and applied fairly and even handedly and extremely lightly. Yep. Yep. No, no, I totally get it. I think libertarians have to be a little more open when talking about taxes, because obviously the taxation is theft banner is, is, you know, like a a go-to. It's popular. Yeah. It's popular. It's, it's kind of become a meme. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of messaging and outreach and connecting with, with potential voters and all that, it's like, it's, it's kind of just this, this plague almost where they automatically right. get the turned ideal, off. Yeah. The ideal would, would obviously be zero tax. Right. Obviously. But we, we, we all have to know pragmatically that that's never feasibly going to happen in, at least in our lifetimes. So I think the wiser exercise is to try to find how close to zero we can get it yeah. and still move forward as a society, move forward as a people without infringing upon others' rights. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to throw a question out there, curveball. I didn't even think of this. So you follow Todd Hagopian at all? I do not. Okay, so Todd Hagopian is uh, he's a pretty big rising influencer in the libertarian movement um, on a national scale. And he started up something called overtaxationistheft.com in which he's trying to get a bunch of people running at state level to sign on for either reducing or abolishing the state income taxes. So that's something that you might want to look at. I will um, definitely check that out then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll send it your way so you can, uh, so you can check it out further. Thanks. But, appreciate that. Yeah. It's just, I'm trying to help people network you know what i mean so yeah we appreciate it and um and that's a plug for you todd hagopian who i'll take this time and i'll just say it too um i'm gonna be on chief chats his podcast uh, i think on friday this week so it should be up by the weekend for all you listeners out there um but we covered a wide range of topics tim is there anything that we haven't touched up on that you want to touch up on uh, we didn't really get into my career as a uh, musician, but that's that's probably best saved for another day. Okay, that's <laughs> again, fair enough. If, if I was good at that, I'd still be doing it. <laughs> I got you, man. Fair enough. So instead, obviously, you're building up your campaign. So we where are, can yes. people? Yeah, where can people find you online? And is there anything that they can do to help you in your campaign? So at present, we're still um, we're still waiting for the official nomination from the state all the meetings are scheduled for i think the seventh to vote on my nomination for the position uh i don't think it'll be a problem um but i'm still cautiously optimistic about it in the meantime there is a uh, facebook group timothy mcmaster for pa pa state senate 48 it's a very long title Uh, but you can find me at tim2021.com much easier to remember. That's tim2021.com. There's no gotcha. Twitter. I don't. I don't do the Twitters. You don't twat. <laughs> I do not. I do not. Uh, the last. I think the last tweet that I actually sent was a fire Andy Reid tweet. Oh, okay. That's that's <laughs> so. You're you're showing your yeah, uh, Twitter age there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been a while. <laughs> it's it's just, a cesspool. Just, don't worry about it. <laughs> And it's just one of those things that at a certain point I was just like, uh, no, I don't, I don't need this kind of negativity in my life. Nope. Nope. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Um, so, and for everybody listening, the links will be in the description. So you'll be able to just click. You won't have to memorize everything he just said. Although um, Tim two zero two one is pretty easy to remember. It's Tim it is, it is pretty easy to remember and it rolls off the tongue. Tim 2021. Yeah, yeah, so. it really does. Because that was that was the original site for, uh, and not to, to backtrack too far here. Uh, originally, I was just running, and I think this was when we set this this uh, this interview up. Was I originally I was just running for the supervisor position in my township. Oh yeah, that's right. So that was yeah. the website that was originally for that. So this it kind of just fit. So we just kind of rebranded everything for state senate. That's right. And I'm kind of glad it went to state Senate because as I was preparing for you for the, uh, it was Conawago, right? Board of Supervisors? Conawago. 
Conawago. I kept I kept screwing it up because obviously I think it's Maryland is the Conawingo Dam, and so I kept wanting to say Conawingo because yeah, my mind yeah. is stupid. So, all right, Tim. That's location bias. I get it. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent, Tim. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Thanks for thank uh, you for having me, sir. I appreciate yeah. it. It's been Thanks too for, long since we've actually had a face to face, so this was it, nice. It has been. It has been. We should do this more often. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So give my give my best to uh, to your lovely wife and your daughter as well. Absolutely. All right, guys, that was Tim on Fritzcast. That was an awesome conversation, and I thank Tim for coming on. We've been plotting this conversation. As if you didn't gather that from the conversation that we just had, we've been plotting having him on as a guest um, to talk about a, a various amount of things, uh, just from his knowledge in 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 farming. And, uh, and his experience in that as well, and his growth in libertarianism. Uh, Tim's a great guy. I really want you guys to, to reach out and help him in his campaign in any way that you can. If you can donate him a couple bucks, if you can just share his page. If you got friends in PA in the 48th District that you can float his name out to, float this episode out to, I think it would be really, really helpful for him. And as far as what's coming up, on Fritzcast, because I told you it's guest, 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 right up here on my board that I'm looking at. Uh, Tuesday next week, I am interviewing Larry Sharp, which will be posted, I believe, at the end of next week on our typical Friday, Saturday slot around there. That's when it's going to pop up. I have uh, Shane Hazel tentatively scheduled. I'm just trying to finalize a time with Shane that's coming up. Uh, and then uh, we're looking at Brian Nichols and a couple other people. Coming down the pike, and we're getting ready. I'm getting ready to start booking for uh, for February and March, and even looking into April. So we got a lot of stuff coming up. And on top of that, because people have been asking me for solo episodes, I'm trying to find a way to work in some solo episodes on the side there too. Moving more into bulking up on these interviews, like recording a couple throughout the week and holding them and putting them out as I can. Uh, so there's probably going to be some more standstill episodes. I might even start doing some shorter episodes, like 15, 20-minute mark, just focusing on one thing going on, like this, the stock market thing. This stock market thing is insane, and I know very little about the stock market. That's about how much I know about the stock market. But GameStop boomed. It was a play against these hedge fund guys, these billionaires, and oh my God, it's taken the Internet by storm. Um so there's things like that that I could touch up on in just shorter little segments and more focused things. So that might be coming down the pike as well. We'll see how it happens. I'm actually working on, as soon as this episode is done processing and uploaded, I'm probably going to do a little January highlights of the last the last month's episodes and a little condensed 15 to 20 minute, just taking little segments. And so it's like a, a, a feeler, an ad almost, like a put out, like this is what you're missing on FritzCast. So that's coming up too. And then also pay attention because either today or tomorrow, um, the Chief Chats episode from Todd Hagopian and Kevin Hobby featuring yours truly, this guy, me, they invited me onto the show. I was the guest. That crazy that I that they would want me on there <laughs> on their show as a guest. But that's gonna be put out. I'm gonna put that out for you guys to check out as well. Uh Remember, guys, you can follow me all the time at FritzQS on Twitter, Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast until the page gets banned inevitably for posting something contrary or something. I don't know. Um, and if you're on YouTube, you already got me on the YouTube. FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com if you need to reach out to me directly. Uh, and remember, I love you. And if you can help me out, the only thing I ask of you is look down below. You have a comment section, you have like buttons, you have reviews that you can leave, and many of you are. Uh, Kevin Hobby just left me a heartwarming one on iTunes on tw on Twitter. It tugged at my tugged at my heartstrings. Made me feel like made me feel like I was doing a good job. Um, but your reviews help. Your reviews do help. It it boosts the podcast up in rankings and people see higher reviews and they go oh this podcast is legit so help me out help a brother out if you can because remember i love you and i'll see you next week